please excuse me the delay. Okay, let's start. So we are in the very last line, just in 55b4. So Amar Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Amar Rabbi Yonasan. So up until uh, from this point until the very end of the following daf, all the following teachings are by by this by Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani and Amar Rabbi Yonasan, and all of them are taking psukim of the Tanakh about people and explain the deeper meaning of what happened, what really happened over there. So he said, Koloimel, anyone that says that Bnei Shmuel Chatu, Enolatoye, that the sons of Shmuel, they sinned, he's mistaken. So what, what it means over here is that according to the Pasuk, looking for the number one, it says that they took bribery and they perverted justice. So he's going to explain, it's not literally. So say like this, the Pasuk says, Vayi, they change a little bit the pasuk, the way the Gomer is quoting it. In the footnote number two, they bring the real way the pasuk says. That when Shmuel became old, so his sons did not go on his ways. So his medayek, you know, uh, let me just put you in mute. Okay, one second. Okay, not me. Okay, good. Thank you so much. So, it said like this, that uh, the Pasuk says that the sons of Shmuel, the prophet Shmuel, didn't go in his ways. But then his Medayek, he makes an inference from the verse that in his way, only in his ways, because Shmuel was a very spiritual person, they were able to follow but they didn't sin. So they weren't as spiritual, but they didn't sin. So then how do you understand that the verse says that they turned aside after monetary gain and they took bribery and perverted justice? So it's not it's not literally. Rather, they didn't act in accordance to the deeds of the Shmuel. Why? Shmuel was unbelievable. He would go all over the land of Israel and judge the people in their cities. He would go all year around and make a circuit from Beisel and Gilgal and Mitzpah and he judged Israel. And he, they, his sons didn't do it. Them lost can. Ella Yeshbu Bearem. Rather, they sat comfort, comfort, com, comfortably in their own cities. And then the judge, they learned was Sachar Lechazanen Velisovrem. And the reason why they didn't want to go out was to make more of a profit in order to increase the income of their attendants and their scribes. Look in the footnote number four. Shmuel's sons paid their attendants to travel throughout the land of Israel and summoned litigants to court, and they paid scribes to prepare legal documents, agreements uh, for the different cases. And uh, Shmuel's sons incurred in the other expense of dispatching their attendants to summon litigants. Why? 
in order to be able to remain at home and tend their own private businesses. That's why they didn't want to go all over the land of Israel. So then, those, they demonstrated their love for, for money, for, they, for if they had to follow their father's example by going all over the land of Israel, the financial fortunes would have, a, would have suffered. So because they wanted to make lots of money, that's why they didn't want to leave their own town. And they sent other people to take care of the judgments. So that's what the Pasuk means, that they pervert the justice. Okay, so the Gemara says that this actually is a machlok estanaim. So ketanai, it says, Again, that verse that says that indeed they turn for the monetary gain. says, According to this Tanaim, we're going to see some of them hold, literally they did something wrong. According to Rabbi Meir, they explicitly requested their portion of the crops. They were Levi'im, and you are not allowed to force people to give you their miser. But because of the power, they force people to give them their miser. According to Rabbi Yudomer, Meloi Itilo al Balevatim. They would... Um, they would uh, force people to buy their goods. Yeah, look over here in footnote number six. Schmolzons provided various individuals with merchandise to sell, and then they would get the profit of those, those businesses. So then when these people went back to court, so because they were the salesmen of Shmuel, of the sons of Shmuel, they treated them in a more favorable way. So therefore, um, they perverted justice. And according to Rabbi Kiva, Kupa Yesera according to Rabbi Kiva, not only they take only the, 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 the miser, the tenth that was uh, proper to come to them as Levim, they, they wanted even more than that. So they took an extra basket an extra amount of miser from people. And there was also stealing. There was stealing. And Rabbi Yossi said they would take the matnos keuna. These are the gifts by force that when people offer a korban, there's three parts of the korban that belongs to the coin. So the sons of Shmuel illegally would take the, those parts of the korban for them. So this is the foreleg, the jaw, and the mo, the mouth. The expense over here in the footnotes, how come Shmuel's sons end up being bad if, if Shmuel was such a great person? So they bring over there, when Shmuel initially was brought to the Mishkan with Eli, and he was a young man, so Hashem came to him in prophecy. So initially Shmuel wasn't versed in prophecy, and he thought Hashem spoke to, to Shmuel. He thought Eli, the coin, was talking to him. So he went to Eli a couple of times, thinking that Eli was call, calling him, when in truth was Hashem calling him in a dream, in, in a prophecy. But Eli realized that Shmuel was having prophecy. So Eli told um, Shmuel, if he doesn't go back and tell him the prophecy, so bad things are going to happen to his children. So even though Shmuel did go back and tell Eli everything of the prophecy, but we have a big, a big um, uh, there's, a, there's a general rule, and we have to be very careful for it, 
When a big person says a klala, even if it's conditional, it doesn't happen. So even though Eli conditioned that if he doesn't tell him what Hashem told him, so whatever might, might happen to his Eli's own kids, because it's going to happen to Shmuel's own kids, even though it was conditional, and Shmuel indeed told Eli what happened, nevertheless, the curse took place, and just like Eli's two kids we saw it yesterday, it went out of the derech, so the same thing happened with Shmuel's kids. That is the, according to this opinion. Let's continue with a different uh, person. Now let's go to King David, Melech Israel. Whoever says that he sinned, he's, not, he's simply mistaken. Now, this is regarding Bathsheba. So whoever says that David committed adultery with Bathsheba is a complete mistake. Because he says, that David was successful in all of his ways, and Hashem was with him. So even though this Pasuk is speaking many, many years before the whole episode of Acheba, but the Gemara still says that Hashem was with Adam, David Amelech, and it could have not been that he committed adultery. So says the Gemara, Would it be possible that such a sin of adultery was in the hands of David Amelech, and still the Shina was with him? Obviously not. And so then, how do I understand the rebuke of Nosan and Avi? Actually, we're going to see he's going to be rebuked for doing two things. One, for adultery with Bathsheba, and secondly, for killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So he says, So Nosan and Avi said, Nosan, the prophet, says to David Amelech, um, Why... The, the, one second. Why have you despised the word of Hashem to do which what is evil in, in Hashem's eyes? What? So says uh, the uh, Rabbi Yonasan, not that he indeed, David Amelech, do something wrong in the eyes of Hashem, rather that he sought to do adultery with Bathsheba, meaning to say, look in the footnote number 13, that he wanted to have a relation with Bathsheba before she received the get, but at the end he waited. We're going to see soon how uh, really Bathsheba was already divorced. So the Gemara says, Omar Rab, so um, Rabbi, so Rab is going to tell us that Rabbi Udanasi, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the Osimi David, he was a direct descendant of David Amelech. So David. He would go out of his way to explain the Psukim to prove that David Amelech didn't sin. So he said like this, Madhu Hashem, going back to that Pasuk of Nosan the prophet, why did you have despised the word of Hashem to do evil? So Rabbi Omer, Rabbi Danasi would explain, Meshune Razu you're going to see the way the word Lasotra is differently written than when other places in the Tanakh it says that people do something wrong. When people really did something wrong, it says Vayas, and they did. But over here, Kangsiv Lasois. It's not that he did, rather to do. So over there, 
ביקש לעשות ולא יעשה. It means to say that initially David Amelech wanted to do something bad, but at the end he ended up not doing it. And also regarding the murder of Uriah. It says, as Uriah Achiti, Ikisa Becherev, the Nosan Arabi told David Amelech, and you also struck Uriah, the Hittite, either because he was a convert from the Hittim or because he lived over there, and you, and you kill him with a sword. So it says, Rabbi, that you should have brought his case to, Sena, to, Sena, to the Sanhedrin, we're going to see that Uriah acted rebelliousness in rebelliousness against David Melech. And we're going to see there's a, there's a lacha called Moret Bemalchus Chayev Misa. If somebody goes against the king, he's liable for death penalty. So instead of you directly, what David Melech sent a letter to Yoav, he was fighting in, in, against Moab, and he told, uh, he told in the letter to Yoab to place Uriah Mamish in the front line of the war for him to be killed. So he directly commanded Yoab for Yoav to be put uh, for 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 uh, Uriah to be put to death. So in the rebuke, Nosan the prophet told David Melech, "You shouldn't just do it on your own. You should have first consulted the Sanhedrin, just for them to rule properly that he was liable of death penalty." So that's what Nosan and Navi told him, and also says, leisha." And also Nosan and Navi told David Melech. And you took his wife for you as a wife. So what it seems to be from here, that he committed adultery. But he really what he meant by using the word lakachta. Look in Hebrew, veishto lakachta. So lekicha is the lashon of the, of the chumash of, of Kiddushin. It says Really, you legally, you, you might legally take her in marriage. So meaning to say that she was a proper she was a divorce that you could have taken her as a wife meaning to say it wasn't adultery so uh, how come it wasn't really an adultery again everything is by so any soldier when he was in the wars sent by David Amelech, before he goes out to war, he would write a get to his wife. Uh, why? To protect the wife for two things. Because if the husband dies in war and they don't have kids, then she would be required to do ibum, to marry the brother-in-law, the brother of the husband. Or even if she had already kids, but what happened if the husband disappears and nobody knows whether he died or not, then she, she could be an iguna. She could not mar- get married to anybody else until they really find out what happened with the husband. So to avoid these two situations, Sodavid Amelech would require any soldier going to war has to divorce his wife. Shinimar, and he learned that from his father. When, when uh, Goliath remembered the story, was standing and blaspheming, and all the army of Shaul Amelech was standing over there, so 
David Amelech's two, uh, not two, but older brothers were part of the soldiers of Shaul. So Ishai sent David. He was a young boy, and that's the the whole episode. Not a young boy, but he was a young a youngster when he ended up killing Goliath. Goliath. So we we bring uh, uh, we see a passage from here what Ishai commanded David to do to bring to the brothers when they were over there in war against the Plishtim. Sheneman Pesaseres Haritzea Halab so Ishai told David Amelech, bring these ten cheeses to the captain of the thousands, to the general. And also, look into your brother's well-being. Let me know if everything is okay with your brothers in the, in the war. And certain their safety. Now the Gemara is going to be medayek from the word Arubatam, not just check if they're okay, but there was a deeper meaning in the word Ve'arubatam, Tikach, and no certain their safety. So my Arubatam, what is this? Their safety, but the word Arubatam is like a strange word. So Tanya Leveina. It really means to say things that uh, mix one another, husband and wife, meaning to say uh, their betro, be, betrothals, meaning to say, and bring a get back from your brothers to their wives. So this is what Ishai commanded David to do, to go, bring the cheeses to the captain, check your brothers, and bring me back all the gets, all the divorce documents of your brothers from their wives. So David Amel learned that from his father, and from then on, once he became the king, all his army would do the same thing. So therefore, when Uriah went to war, he had written a get to Bathsheba. And that's why it wasn't adultery. The Gemara is going to keep on explaining this point. Then regarding, I'm sorry, it wasn't uh, Amon, uh, it wasn't Moab was Amon. Regarding killing Uriah, it says in the book of Nasan, and Nasan the prophet, when he rebuked David Melech, he told him, and you killed Uriah by the sword of the of the descendants of Ammon. Right? So Maharev to make a nekesh. Maharev ni Ammon shalab, just like you are not punished. You are not responsible for the killings of the sword of the Ammonites. So, so too, you are not responsible for the killing of Uriah. So that's how he learned, uh, Rabbi Yonasan, that from the Ekesh of Bnei Amon, that he really was innocent. So my Taima, the Gemara wants to know why he's not responsible. So says the Gemara, because really Uriah rebelled against the monarchy. And again, we have an alaha that Moreb Malchus Chayav Misa. Anybody going, going against the king of Israel, he's liable of death penalty. So it's like this. When David had taken Bathsheba back to his palace and he had intercourse with her, then he called back Uriah from the uh, from the battlefield, and he told Uriah, "Go back to your house." 
because like this, David Amelech, uh, because Bathsheba got pregnant, David Amelech wanted to cover the fact that she got pregnant from David Amelech. So he told Uriah, you go back to your house. He called him back from the bat- battlefield. Go back to your house and stay at home with your wife. And uh, Uriah said no. He said, how can I go back to my house? So he said, uh, and my master Yab and the servants of my master, which is King David, are encamped in the open field. Shall I then come to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your, of your soul, I shall not do this thing. So by him not listening to David Melech, so there's two opinions looking at the footnotes. What was the Merida? What was the rebellion? One, that he called Joab, his uh, general, my, sir, my, my master. So how can you call your general in front of the king, my master? When your real master is the king, not, the, not your general. So according to some opinions, that was a mistake. According to other opinions, the mistake is that he didn't listen to David Melech and he didn't go home. Okay, so that's why he was a murdered by Malchus. Now, says uh, Amar Ra, Ra, Rab. Uh-huh. So after we ended up explaining how that the David Amelech didn't really commit adultery, we're going to just say that he did another problem. Now, just let me say one thing. Um, in the previous page, one second, I forgot what I wanted to tell you. Yes. Uh, in regarding that point that all the soldiers of David Amelech would go to war after they gave a get to their wives, there's a difference between Russia and Tesos whether that get operated retroactively or that get really uh, operated on the spot. Meaning to say, according to Rashi, that get was given at the time the soldier went to war with the condition that if the soldier dies in war, then retroactively she was already divorced. So that's why even though uh, Uriah only died after David Amelech had taken had intercourse with Bathsheba, but the get that he had given to Bathsheba took effect retroactively from the moment he gave it to her. According to Taisos, it doesn't work like that. According to Taisos, the soldiers would give the get to the wives silently for nobody to know, so nobody would come and take the wives. But in any event, both Russia and Taisos, Bathsheba was already divorced allegedly when David, David Amele had intercourse with her. Now, let's continue. Omar Rav, Rav said, If you look into the episode, into the life of David Amelech, uh, you wouldn't find that he did anything wrong except what he did with Uriah that uh, indirectly caused Uriah's death. But regarding Bathsheba, he was completely innocent. He says in the Pasuk, David did what David did, that which was just in the eyes of Hashem, 
and he did not swear, uh, say, swerve from all that he commanded him, meaning to say he always follows Hashem ways all the days of his lives, says the Pasuk, except for the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, the Gemara is going to challenge this. That according to Rav, the only sin that David Melech had is what we saw previously to have something to do with Uriah being killed. But Abaye Kashisha Rami, the Rav of the Rav. But according to Abaye Kashisha, I don't think this is the Abaye that we see all the time. That's why it's called Abaye Kashisha. Del the Abaye. He had a little bit of a kasha to this previous statement. Because it's another statement of Rav that said the following. The Rav said that only the only sin David Amelech committed was the one of Uriah. But Rav said there was another mistake of David Amelech. And that is the Kibbal David Lashon Ara. That he accepted Lashon Ara. So Gemara says, Kasha, you're right. According to Rav, we're going to see just now, there was an old episode where David Amelech accepted Lashon Ara. What was the case? So the case is like this. Uh, after David Amelech was... After Shaul died, Shaul Amelech died, and David Amelech was taken to be the king of the entire Israel. So David Amelech had promised Jonathan, the son of Shaul, that he would take care, that they may have a whole covenant, and that included that David Amelech would take care of his descendants. So when, so Jonathan, Shaul, and, his, and three of his sons were killed in the war against the Plishtim. So when David Amelech, after Shaul Amelech died, was placed as a king, so he wanted to find out if there was any descendants of Jonathan for, them, for David Amelech to protect them, to take care of them, as part of this, of this covenant between him and Jonathan. And he found a servant, that this servant was taking care of one of the sons of, of, of Jonathan. His name was Mephibosheth. But we're going to see that in two occasions, this servant spoke Lashon Ara against Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, and David Amelech believed him. So says that there was also a mistake. And we're going to see at the end of, of, that, of this section that it was terrible. We'll see which terrible things came out because David Amelech ended up believing the Lashon Ara against Mephibosheth. So says, Gufe, uh, so we're going to analyze this. Rabba Mar Kibel David Lashonara. David accepted Lashonara. Because he says, This is David Amelech, as I told you, when he became king over the entire Israel. So he asked this slave, Eifu, where is the son of Yonasan? Tziva. Tziva was the name of the slave in charge of Mephibosheth, the son of Yonatan. So, Vayom Tzibel HaMelech, Ineu Beis Machir Ben Amiel Belo Dabar. So he is in um, the house of Machir Ben Amiel in a place called Lo Devar. So look in the footnote number 31. So what the Gemara is going to make at Russia, instead of reading the word Lo, first of all, Lo Devar is a place. But instead of reading lo, like in the Hebrews with the Lamet Vav, read it with the Lamet Aleph, meaning no. 
So he meant to tell David Melech, Mephibosheth, he's a complete ignorant. He has no Torah. So she accepted that Lashonara, that really he didn't have any Torah. And that, that was, that's even worse than Lashonara. That was Moti Shemra, that's uh, saying defamation. Because it wasn't even truth, because the Pasuk says, And David took him, he took Mephibosheth from the house of Mahir ben Amiel from Lodavar. But in English, from Lodavar, in, in Hebrew is Meloi Davar. So again, Darshan, the, the word Meloi, instead with a Vav, do it with an Aleph. Mem lametalef melo is male. So the truth is that Mephibosheth was full of stuff, meaning to say he indeed had learned a lot of Torah. So that was Lashon for believing that he didn't have Torah. So Zekimora Mirdi, but hold on. But David Amelech saw that Syria was lying about Mephibosheth. Kiadar Ashin Ilavei. Now, for a second, so that first time he spoke Lashonoro, David Amelech believed it, and but then he, he proved that it wasn't truth. Now the Gimel is asking, so why for a second time David Amelech again believed Lashonoro? So now what the Gimel is going to do, he's going to bring us further into two episodes. So just keep in mind there were three episodes because the chronology can get us a little bit confused. So the first episode was the one we just saw when David Amelech became king. And he found out where was this Mephibosheth and where we just saw right now. Now, the second and third episodes were many years after that. And that is one of Shalom, the whole, after the whole episode of Bacheva, David Amelech and Bacheva. So uh, Absalom, one of the punishments but the main punishment that Hashem gave to David Amelech for the whole episode of Bacheva is that one of David Amelech's sons, Absalom, wanted to make, actually, he did uh, a revolution against David Amelech, and he wanted to kill David Amelech. So David Amelech had to run away from Jerusalem. And he ran away, and after he ran away, Absalom was killed, and he was able to back to Jerusalem. So we're going to see two episodes, one on the way of David Amelech running away, and when one, the third one, when David Amelech was coming back after Absalom was killed. So also over there, Tzivia spoke Lashonara, and David Amelech believed it. Says the Gemara, Mihdi, Chazi de Shikra'u, Kiadar al-Shin al-Elavei, Ma'itam Akibla, if you already saw that he spoke Lashonara, why did again David Amelech believe him? Because it says, So when the Midrach was escaping to, from Absalom, so this slave came to Syria and he brought supplies to David Amelech, he was escaping from Absalom. So then David Amelech asked Syria, and the king said to Syria, where is the son of your master? Where is, where is um, uh, Mephibosheth? Why didn't he come? And Syria said to the king, Behold, he abides in Jerusalem, for he has said, Today the house of Israel will restore to me 
the kingdom of my father. So what what Tziva told David Melech that he's not coming to flee with you because the, the opposite. He's so happy. He's really hoping for you to be killed and for him to be restored, to be the king of Israel. That's why he didn't come. And that was a complete lashonara. That wasn't truth. Says the Gemara Minada and the Kibel Mineh. I don't know that really David Melech believed this lashonara. Says the Tziva by Yom Amelech Tziva because right away David Melech told Tziva, "Hine lecha kol asher emefiboshes." Behold, everything that belongs to emefiboshes, I'm taking away from him and I'm giving it to you. By Yom Tziva. And Tziba was so excited about that. He says, I'm going to buy down to you uh, as I have found favor in your eyes, my master, the king. So we see that David Amelech believed the report. Now, uh, this is according to Rav. So according to Rav, twice they spoke Lashanara and twice he believed it. And that's why it was liberal of Akasha to the previous teaching that the only head, the only thing he had was the one of the death of Uriah. Now, the Gemara is going to bring that Shmuel argues with Rav. According to Shmuel, he didn't accept the Lashonara. Shmuel Amar Lokibel David Lashonara. No, he didn't accept the, the slander. Why? Because Vari Manikarim Chazabe. Because Initially, right, Tziva spoke Lashonara, but then David Amelech proved he checked out and he definitely saw there was truth in what uh, Tziva had said. Why? Because now Shmuel is quoting a verse. As I said, in the third episode, now is on the way back from David Amelech after the kill of Shalom. So David Amelech came back to, 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 to his palace. So let me read the, the translation. It's written that after the defeat of Shalom, of Shalom David returned to Rishalayim, and Mephibosheth, the son of Shaul, went down to meet the king. And and he neither dressed in he dressed his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, and nor laundered his clothes, etc. From the day that the king departed until the day he came home in peace. Now, the reason why Mephibosheth looked like a shmate when he went to greet David Melech is because. Since David Melech had been taken, had been run away from Avshalom, he really, Mephibosheth, was in the sight of David Melech, And he, as a sign of mourning, he grew his hair and he didn't take showers or anything because he really was siding for David Melech. But David Melech misunderstood and he thought that it was a sign of rebelliousness that he came to greet him looking like a shmate. So then David asked him regarding the initial episode, and he asked him, Mephibosheth, why didn't you come with me when I escaped? 
יאמר לני המלך, עבדי רימני, כי אמר עבדך. So he told him, I wanted to go with you, but this slave tricked me. Because עבדי רימני, כי אמר עבדך, הכבשה לי החמור, והרכב עליה ולך יש המלך. Because my lord the king, my slave deceived me, that's what Mephibosheth told of the Melech, for your servant said, this is what Tziva told Mephibosheth. When he wanted to go, Mephibosheth also wanted to go with David the Melech, I shall saddle the donkey, that I might ride on it and go with the king, keep his Avdecha, for your servant is lame. So what I think, I look in the Tanakh to understand the Pasuk better, is not so clear, but I think what happened was that Mephibosheth was lame, and he needed kind of assistance from, um, from Tziva to go with David the Melech, but instead of Tziva help, him, uh, help Mephibosheth to go together with David the Melech and run away from Absalom, I think just Siva went and he left, he tricked Mephibosheth and he left him behind. And then when he went to David the Melech, he slandered what we saw previously. And Siva had slandered your servant to my lord the king, that's what we said. And my lord the king is like an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in your eyes. Okay, so let's continue with the story. So then when, when David Amelech realized that Siva had tricked uh, uh, Mephibosheth and he had spoken Lashonara, so David Amelech now changed the order that he had given, not the order, but the promise, when he initially had taught Tziva that all the property of Mephibosheth is going to belong to Tziva, now that he heard also Tziva's version and Mephibosheth's versions of the events, now he says, you know what? So you're going to keep the property, have you and have Tziva. So the king said to him, what do you go and speak in your words? I have said, you and Tziva shall divide the field. But Mephibosheth said to the king, No, let him take all. I don't need to take half of it, since my lord the king is returning in peace. So, uh, peace to his house. So, according to Shmuel, we're going to see from here that David Amelech didn't accept any Lashonara. You're going to see from the way Mephibosheth spoke that he really was against David Amelech. So it wasn't just Lashonara of Tziva, indeed Mephibosheth was against David Amelech. Amarlo, Ani Amarti Mephibosheth in essence was really implying to say to David Amelech, I said, when will the king return in peace? Meaning to say, I was yearning for the day when you will return in peace, and you treat me like this? So really what he meant to say is was really expecting for you not to come. No, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I, when I was preparing, I got a little bit confused. What he meant to tell him was like this. The reason I didn't shave and all that 
is because I was really in your side. I, I was mourning the fact that Shalom was kicking you out of the palace, and I was mourning that. And then I come to greet you, and instead of you, of, of you looking at me being in your side, you, go, you went against me. So therefore, he said, Lo alecha yeshli tarumois. So then my complaint is not against you. El almi shalom. Rather, my complaint is to Hashem. Why did he bring you in peace? Look in the phone number one. Mephibosheth should have pleaded with the king for his property. But instead he replied, let him take all, since my lord, the king, is returning. This is a non, I don't know what the word secure means, but the fact that David Amelot was returning in peace was no reason for Tzibia to take all. Therefore, Mephibosheth's reply is interpreted by the Gemara as being a harsh one. When David Amelot saw that Mephibosheth was grumbling against heaven, he realized that Mephibosheth's heart was not with him. So that's why they realized that uh, it wasn't just Lashonara. Look in the last two lines of this footnote that um, is like this. No, let me read the last paragraph. If Mephibosheth had said, since my lord the king is returning, let Siva take all. So if he, would have start, if he would have started the sentence like that, then it would have meant that the joy of David Amalek's returning, then he said, you know, let him keep everything. But how did he start the sentence? He began with the words, let him take all. That was an expression of anger and complaint. And then he said, uh, the rest, because you are like a, a malach of Hashem. So from those words, that's how they recognized that Shmuel, according to Shmuel, that it wasn't just Lashanar of Tziva, was really Mephibosheth that he was wrong. And just to conclude this proof, I know the Chsiv, and that's why in the Chronicles is written, Uben Yonasan Meriv Baal. And it's written, and the son of Yonasan was Meriv Baal in the Chronicles. So the Gemara asked, Behi Meriv Baal Shmoy, was really his name Meriv Baal? Well, Mephibosheth Shmoy, his name was Mephibosheth, not Meriv Baal. Ela, the word Meriv Baal, the one that made a Meriva against the Baal. Ela mitoch shesa Meriva in Baalam, because he made a quarrel against his master Hashem, is called Merival. So we see a proof to Shmuel that it wasn't just Lashanara, but it was really going against um, Hashem. So the Gemara says, when he acted like that, Yatzabas kol ve'amrahlo, Natsa bar Natsa. You, Mephibosheth, uh, a heavenly voice, said, Quarreler, quarreler, son of quarreler. Natsa, you are a quarreler. Adamara, what we just explained now. And the son of a quarreler, why? Because also Shaul did the same thing. And that's why in the first verse of today, it says that he was, uh, he was referred as the son of Shaul. But he wasn't really the son of Shaul. He was really the son of Jonathan, he was the grandson of Shaul. The, but the verse calls him the son of Shaul because he was just like Shaul. Just like we're going to see just now how Shaul also went against Hashem. 
he had the very same attitude of going against Hashem. Dirsir, how or where do we find that Shaul Amelech also went against Hashem? It says, When Shmuel, the prophet, commanded Shaul in the name of Hashem to go and fight against Amalek, so it says that he went, and Shaul came, Ad ir Amalek to fight against Amalek in the city of Amalek, and he contended in the riverbed. Now you're gonna see in the footnotes, Amalek didn't, didn't. Let me ask Benjamin to be a little bit quiet. Benji, Benji, yeah. will you be a little bit quiet, please? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, yes. all the strength of Benjamin. Okay, so it says that he came to the riverbed. So Amalek didn't live in a riverbed, and Amalek lived in a, um, in a mountain. Okay? So what is this that he went to the riverbed? So the Gemara explains, Rather, Shaul has some resentment for this command of Hashem to kill everybody, and he learned this from the matter of the riverbed. What is the riverbed? This is the halacha of the of um, Egla Rufa. So look in the footnotes, but I'm going to tell you. So there's an halacha when somebody finds in the land of Israel a corpse that somebody had been slain. So if we don't know who killed the person, we know the halacha. They have to bring a, 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 a Egla, it's a calf, a female calf, to a riverbed and kill it to atone for one person that had been murdered and nobody knows who murdered it. So Shaul HaMelech said, we see from that halacha how important is the life of one person. And now Hashem is sending me to kill the entire Amalek, men, women, elder, children. So Shaul had a little bit of resentment against Hashem. He had a little bit of rebelliousness against Hashem. And actually, we know at the end, he didn't kill the king of Amalek, Agag. And that's why Hashem decided, you know, you, you won't be anymore the king. So that attitude of rebelliousness of Shaul was the same attitude of rebelliousness of Mephibosheth, the grandson, when David the Melech came back from Absalom. Okay, let me stop the recording over here. So again, it's the same people. Um, um, oh, just to end up uh, before, just the corollary of this story. Omar Abide Omar Rab. Beshash Amar Abide Mephiboshes. Atavit Siva. Just to end up this story, very strong message. At the time that David Amelech, the very last thing we saw when Mephiboshes told David Amelech that Siva had spoken Lashonara, so David Amelech said, okay, so then split the property. You keep half, and Tziva let, him, let, let, let Tziva keep half of your property. So says Rabbi Yudin Shmuel, when he said that, Atavitiyat a heavenly voice came out of heaven and said, Rechavam ve'yeravam melucha. Oh, mida keneged mida. Just like you, David Amelech, are splitting unjustly the property of Mephibosheth, and you give me half to his slave, Sivia, I'm going to say the same thing with your son. 
Sorki Sungas Rehavam, and Rehavam, and Shlomo Melech had a slave that was Yerobam. So Hashem says, So the same thing I'm going to do to you. When you die, two tribes are going to remain with your son. Not when you die. When your son Shlomo dies, then two tribes are going to remain with him, Yehuda Minyamin, but ten tribes. I'm going to give to Shlomo's servant, Yerobam. So what's like a mamish, like a midah, can I get So listen to the, to the Musar. Omar Abiyudah, Omar Rab, Ilmalin lo kibel David Lashonara. If David Amelech would have not accepted this Lashonara from Tzivam, lo nech lekam achus beis David. This would have not happened. That the, king, the kingdom was split, as we just explained. Velo avdisavodah zora. And then, Yerobam would have not come to prohibit the Jewish people to go to Jerusalem. And because I won't get into the whole story over here, why he ended up prohibiting people to go back to Jerusalem to do Aliyah So Yerobam built two houses of idolatry in Dan and in Beitel. And he put two golden calves over there. And he put all the Jewish people, the ten tribes, to do idolatry. So if David Amelech would have not do this, would have not accepted the Lashonara, then this would have not happened of all the ten tribes doing idolatry. And also, and we would have not ended up being sent to exile. So it's unbelievable. We see because the king is the root of everything. So it's like the heart. If somebody has a problem with the heart, so the problem goes throughout the whole body. So if the king is the heart of the Jewish nation, a slight mistake of the king, look, all the consequences, all the negative consequences of the, for the Jewish people. Now let's go to Shlomo Melech. Amar Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani. So Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani. Amar again, is the same people. Kol Amar Shlomo Chatainu Whoever says, that Shlomo Melech, the King Solomon, um, did a sin, and the sin we're referring over here is idolatry. Whoever says that he did idolatry, he is completely mistaken. We're going to also see that is more than what appears to be from the verses. Shenemar, because what is written regarding Shlomo Melech, and his heart, was not perfect with Hashem, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. So says over here, Rav Yonosan, The Pasuk only says that he, his heart didn't match the level of the heart of his father. But, but it doesn't mean to say that he, he did sin. So he didn't sin. But the Gemara asked, Hold on. The verse says, Shlomo, an explicit verse telling us when he became old, Nashav it was His wife definitely uh, turned his heart aside after other gods. So the Paso clearly states he did idolatry at the old, old age. So the Gemara says, No, this verse has to be understood according to, we're going to see Rabbi Nassan. Uh, he found, again, two verses that seem to contradict one another. 
De Rabbi Nelson Gami, one verse says, We saw that the end of Shlomo's old age, his wives strayed and uh, moved his heart turned aside to other gods. But the other verse says, The one we saw today, the, 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 the first one, that his heart was not perfect with Hashem, his God, as the heart of David, his father. So what, just as we saw previously, he wasn't at the level of the heart of his father, but he, did, he didn't sin. So the exact same question that we had previously to Rabbi Yonasan, Rabbi Nasan is asking and giving an answer. So rather, this is what the verse means, the first one. So he said, at the, when he was an older person, King Solomon, he, his wives turned his heart to go after idolatry. So his wives wanted to seduce him, to convince him to do idolatry. But he didn't go. So that is the meaning of the Pasuk. The Gemara says... But another verse says that then Shlomo built an altar for Kemosh, the abomination idol of Moab. So it says explicitly that he, he indeed built an altar for idolatry. It's not only that he was about to, but he didn't. He did. Says the Gemara, no, it's the same thing. No, his heart wanted to build to build an altar for the idolatry, but he didn't do it. The Gemara says, are you learning that because of the word says, live noise, like Ibne, is like in the future, not Bana, like he did, but he wanted to do. So there's the same verse regarding Yeshua. as Ibne Yeshua Mizbeach Lashem, that then Yeshua will build an altar for Hashem, also because he's greeting with the word Ibne in the future tense. Are you telling me that he didn't build it? For sure he did. Shebikesh levnaz velo bana? That's for sure not. Elo de bana. Yeshua, Benun, when he crossed the land of Israel, as the Torah says, he built an altar. So achinami de bana. So you have to say the same thing in the verse of Shlomo Melech. Just because he's greeting Ibne, that sounds like in the future, it doesn't mean that he wanted, but he didn't. No, he did build an altar to the idolatry. Rather, the Gemara says, Ela Keditania. No, you know how we understand the verse? According to Rabbi Yossi in the following Brisa. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Besav Mois Asher Alpi Yerushalayim Asher Mimin Lear Amashchis, Asher Bana Shlomo, Melech Israel, Le Ashtores Shikut Tzidonim Begoimer. So this is, let me read it to you in the article. The Pasuk speaks about when King Yoshiyahu. Now, the King Yoshiyahu was a descendant of Shlomo Melech, but it was way after Shlomo Melech, many, many generations after. But we're going to see soon he was a big tzaddik. So when the King Yoshiyahu took measures to eradicate all vestiges of idolatry in his kingdom, and the kings defiled 
And, and then the king Yoshiyahu, he defiled, he destroyed the altars that faced Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which were on the right side of the Mount of Oil, look in the footnote 17, Mount of Olives, which Shlomo, the king of Israel, built to, the Ashtor, to Ashtores, the abomination of the Sidonites, etc. So that is what the Pasuk says. That only many, many generations later on, the king Yoshiyahu destroyed all those altars. So the Gemara is going to ask a question on that. It says, Before Yoshiyahu, there were other kings. They were also righteous. There was the king Asa. Could it be that before Yoshiyahu, when the king Asa was a righteous king, came and he didn't destroy those altars from Shlomo? And then after that, Yoshaphat, Velobi Aram, and then came uh, Yoshaphat, was also a righteous king, and also he didn't destroy those altars, until finally came Achiva Yoshiao Aram, and only when Yoshiao came, he destroyed those altars. Says the Gemara, that Pasuk, that verse, for sure cannot be taken face value. Sheveret Israel, we know that all the idolatry of the land of Israel. Asa and Yoshafat Biarum. They were destroyed by these two previous kings, Asa and Yoshafat. Rather, we have to say, Ella, the verse, this verse regarding Yoshayahu cannot be taken face value. Ella, Maki Rishonim Lachronim. Rather, it comes to compare King Solomon, sorry, it comes to compare King Solomon with King Yoshayahu in, in, in the following manner. Just, just like the later ones, meaning Yoshiao, even though he didn't do it. Yoshiao, he, he's not the one that destroyed the, the altars of idolatry of Shlomo Melech. They had only been destroyed. The altars that he destroyed is the ones that were built after Yoshafat. Because if you look in the chronology, in the book of in the Tanakh, there was a good king and a bad king, and a good king and a bad king. So after Yoshafat, there was a bad king, and those are the altars that he destroyed. But because he destroyed the later altars of idolatry, he gives the shevach, he gives the recognition, and he eradicated all the negative altars of the land of Israel, all the way back to Shlomo Melech. So what the verse is doing is a parallel. Just like <coughs> the verse regards him as destroying all the negative altars. It's the same thing says uh, regarding the previous Pasuk. Uh, regarding to the previous ones with Shlomo Melech, even though he didn't do it, just like Yoshayahu uh, didn't do it, also Shlomo Melech didn't really do it. He didn't really do altars for idolatry, but nevertheless, because he didn't rebuke his wives, the Tanakh considers as if he'd built those altars. And that's what the government is about to clarify. But the, the Pasuk says that Shlomo Melech did the evil in the eyes of Hashem. Says the Because he should have protested against his wives when they did other worship. And he did not protest. Scripture regards him as he has seen in building those altars for idolatry. 
So this is connected. That's why the Gemara is going in two pages of this topic, because we saw also yesterday the severity when a person doesn't protest against his wife, his family, people that are doing the wrong thing and he keeps quiet. The Torah writes is as if he is the one that did the Avera. Even though he didn't do Avera, he didn't do idolatry, he didn't build altars of idolatry, his wife did it. But you didn't protest, the Pasuk writes as if you did it. I'm a review of Shmuel. And just like we saw Rabiuda in the name of Shmuel giving us like a lesson, a Musar Askel from what happened to David Amelech, now the Gemara is going to do the same thing regarding Shlomo Melech. It would have been preferable for, for that righteous person, for Shlomo Melech, to be an attendant to something else, meaning to say to idol worship. He should have bring wood and water for idol worship, that would be better than for him that it says, Ve'alika boy, Hashem. And that it would not be written on him, and Shlomo did evil in the eyes of Hashem. That is really terrible. Look in the footnote number 22. This teaches how severely one is rebuked for failing to protest a wrongdoing. Again, terrible. If we see somebody in our house, somebody in our community, and we're able to rebuke, and we don't, this is the whole lesson of the, these two pages of the Gemara, where consider that we did that very same transgression. Um, now, Karen, you have a minute to come and hear this? It's unbelievable. Yesterday, uh, Karen and myself were listening to a shiur, which I completely disagree. Are you doing hala? I'm going to say the story. I thought you wanted to hear it. Okay, I'll tell you the story after. Okay, good. Yes, we were hearing a shiro, shior of Rabbanava. Let me tell you even the name and the shior because I spoke with Rabbi Willis. And we both agree in that latest shior of Rabbanava, what he's saying is mavish nonsense. And the problem with that shior is because two things. He, he is a third series of a shior, is, is a shior the third shir in a series of shirs about the Mashiach. And what Ranaba, Ravalona Nava is doing, he wants to explain what's going on with the whole virus and with, with the whole um, humanity. And a lot of that shir is just a, a terrible conspiracy theory, which is completely nonsense. Mamish, I'm telling you, it's nonsense. When I was here in the shir with my wife, I told Karen, this is rubbish, this is Mamish nonsense. And then we called Robert Willis, and he said the guy is really out of his brain by saying those things in the shiur. But not only that, he said in the shiur, this following Gemara, I'm about to tell you, that's why I call Karen to hear the Gemara, unbelievable. And also the pshat he gives in the Gemara, I'm about to tell you, was mistaken. He's not the true pshat in the Gemara. So let's see in the Gemara. So the Gemara says the following. That's not Lashon Haaretz, it's a lot of speaking. Bad about Sravanava, but it's very important to know that the shir he said is not truth and is not Torah. That's what I'm telling you. So, Amar Abiyudu, Amar Shmuel, Noach, no, no, that we see. The last paragraph in the page 56p2. Amar Abiyudu, Amar Shmuel, Beshash and Asash Lomu Basparoi, 
At the time the Shlomo Melech married Paro's daughter, I know if you will remember, we did in Brachos, at the beginning of Brachos, I think it was page 7 or page 8, I to review my pages, page 8, Chesamud Aleph, that uh, when Shimi Vengera, Shlomo Melech's teacher, died, that was the first mistake of Shlomo Melech, that he married the daughter of Paro. And he was only 12 year old, Shlomo Melech. So when he married her, look what happened over here. Uh, she brought to him a thousand musical instruments, and he, she, she said to him, This is how we uh, worship such and such idol. And this is how we perform such and such idolatry to such and such idol. And he didn't protest. From the very beginning, he was 12 years old, he gets married to the daughter of Paro, she starts bringing all these musicians and doing all this idolatry, and he kept quiet. So this is the story we heard yesterday, Karen. So, at this same time when she, again, he was 12 years old when he married the daughter of Paro. Now, I heard the shiur very many, many years ago from Rabbi Rieti. Why did Shlomo Melech marry the daughter of Paro? And why did Shlomo Melech marry so many other women? So Shlomo Melech was the potential to be Mamish the Mashiach. So he wanted to, 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 to get married to the, all these different nations to be able to influence them, to bring him to Torah. But he wasn't able to, and he ended up bad. So listen to this. Says the Kimora, when Shlomo married the daughter of Paro, Yorad Gabriel, Gabriel the Malach came down, and he thrust a reed pole into the sea. Which sea? The middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And a sandbank formed around that, around that uh, reed that he put. And that's how he formed the whole peninsula of Italy. And uh, on that was built the great city of Rome. That Rome became the tormentor of Israel, that then um, they, they ended up destroying the Beis Amikdash. It's important to look in the footnote number 24. So this is Italy of Yavan, the enormous Roman city described in the Megillah, Maseches Megillah. So Shlomo's marriage to Pharaoh's daughter was the beginning of idolatry in Jerusalem, and hence the beginning of the temple's destruction. So just like we saw regarding David Melech, how a, a small mistake that he made of believing in Sivia because the whole destruction, the, the whole uh, diaspora, in the same token over here, by Shlomo Melech being the king and marrying the daughter of Paro, so that was the beginning of the destruction of the temple. On the su supernal level and the spiritual level, the angel Gabriel was given the task of destroying the temple with fire. And that's why over here Hashem is the one that sent Gabriel to put this reed in the sea so Rome can be formed. Therefore, it was he who thrust the reed pole into the sea, the setting in motion the growth of Rome 
which destroyed the earthly temple. So just like if there's a temple in Shamaim, Shlomo Melech had built a temple down here. And even though Rome didn't destroy the first temple, but at the end it destroyed the second temple, and that put us in a 2,000-year gallus. So the root of the problem started by Shlomo Melech getting married to the daughter of Paro. And another thing that happened over there, says, Bemanisatana, this Torina Braisa, Oiswayon, Shignis Yerobam. Ah, no, this is the dance of Shlomo Melech. Now, the next generation, we spoke that Hashem split the kingdoms, and then Yerobam took ten tribes. So says the Braisa, Oiswayon, Shignis Yerobam, Shnei Iglezav, the day that Yerobam installed the two golden calves, Echad Bebeisel, Echad Bedan. He built these two places of idolatry, and he put one golden calf in each one of them. That very same day, So that was the beginning of the city. So by Shlomo Melech marrying the daughter of Paro, that was the foundation of Italy and Rome to come into power. And then, when Jerobam did these two golden calves and two houses of idolatry, that was the beginning of the city itself. It started with a little, uh, little hut. And then from then became the whole entire city of Italy of Yavan. Yavan really is Greece. But it's called Italy of Yavan because Italy, the Romans, didn't have their own values. What they did, they took the values of Greece. And, and that, that was the Western culture. And that is the empire of Rome, or the empire of Edom also which is the, the last of the empires. So we have four exiles, and the fourth exile is the exile of Rome. So we see, uh, up until now, 2,000 years of exile of Rome. So let me just clarify what is the mistake of Rabbi Anava in that show that he gave. He presents a whole theory, conspiracy theory, that is coming back from the times of Paro, there's a secret society that they other worship the Satan and they're once ruling the world and a whole mamish theories. But it's the first time I've listened to Rabbi Anabas tapes. He speaks in interesting, interesting stuff. But all that theory is not even his. These conspiracy theories have been going for years and many people, non-Jewish people made them up and I'm just surprised that Rabbanava believes him. Imamish may not make no sense. And then the way he quoted this Gemara yesterday, I mean, I heard the, the shiur yesterday. And, um, and the, the way he quoted this Gemara is not even the way we read it just now. He gives, he's saying the, 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 the Empire of Rome is not even Rome, it's not really Italy. He takes many things out of context. And, and the reason why I feel I need to tell you this, and God forbid for me to speak Lashonara, but it's just to clarify that don't, don't take face value that shiur. If you, if you happen to hear it, that shiur that he spoke, the third shiur in the series of Mashiach and what's going on today is not Torah. It's not based on Torah. And I, 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 Robert Willis, believe it's a bunch of nonsense. Okay. 
Let's continue with the Gemara. Now, Amar Abishmuel Bar Nachmani, Amar Abiyonasan. Again, it's the same people. Kol Omer Yoshiyahu, Chata Einolatoye. So we speak about the King Yoshiyahu, that he is the one that is attributed to him breaking the altars of Shlomo Melech. Now, the Pasuk says something that might seem to be a head, a sin that he committed. But again, says Rabbi Yenasan, that would be a mistake. Shenemar, because it's written, he stated regarding Yoshiyahu, the king, he did that which was right in the eyes of Hashem. He walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So therefore, we see he was Mamashat Tzadik. So then, what do we do with the following Pasuk? But how then, the verse says, and before him there had been no one like him, Akin, who returned to Hashem with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his possessions. That is a Pasuk. So if it says that the Pasuk, that he'd return with everything, implies that he had previously sinned. Otherwise, what it says, that he repented. So it says, no. You know what he had to go back to do? So there's two ways of learning this Gemora. One thing everybody agrees, Joshiao became king when he was eight years old. Shlomo Melech became king when he was 12. Yoshiao became king when he was eight year old. Now, there's two ways of learning this Gemara. Look in the footnotes. Either, and, and, and since then, he started ruling like a judge. That's what the kings used to do. So according to one opinion, he ruled between 8 until 26. So the number 18 means for 18 years that he was king and a ruler. He didn't have the Torah with him. And only after, when he was 26, he discovered in the base of Mikdash a Sefer Torah that was hidden. And only then he was able to learn the Torah, the written and the oral Torah. And then he understood that he made many mistakes in those rulings of 18 years. So we're going to see now that he redo all those 18 years of mistakes. According to other version, look in the footnotes. No, we're talking when he was 8 until he was 18. And there's a rabbinical decree that a, a judge shouldn't be judged younger than 18 year old. Rabbinically. So what the governor means, those 10 years between 8 to 18, those are the cases that he reversed. So, so this verse intimates for all cases that Yoshia judge from the age of 8, eight until 18 years of reign, reign, being king, exile line. He returned the, dispute monies, the disputed money or properties to the losing litigants. Shema Tomar, Natal But lest you say, maybe he took the money from this winning party that he had ruled previously and gave it to the losing party? No. That's what the Pasuk says. That he returned to Hashem with all his possessions. Meaning to say, That Yoshiyahu returned the money with his own money, not with the money of the 
previous person that he decreed he had lost the case. Upliga de Rab. Now this explanation of Rabbi Yonasan disagrees with the opinion of Rab, because according to Rab, the Amar Rab, according to Rab, no, he did initially did the wrong thing, but he was about Chuba. So gentlemen, if we consider ourselves about Chuba, you know who is the father of the Balechuba? This is Yoshiawa Melech. That according to Rab, you have no greater penitent, penitence, people that did Chuba than Yoshiawa in his generation. And then, and then Rab said, and one in our generation. So the Gemara is going to tell us who is a person in the time of Rab besides the King Yoshiawa that also was an unbelievable Balechuba. The Gemara won't tell us what he did, the Gemara is going to end up with the names. It was Manu, who was this person, Abba, Abba de Rabbi Yirmiya bar Abba. His name was Abba, and he was the father of Yirmiya bar Abba. The Amrila was Aha, and he was the Hua de Abba, Abba de Rabbi Yirmiya bar Abba. It was Aha, the brother of Abba, who is the father of Yirmiya bar Abba. The Amarmar, because the master said, Abba Beacha Achiabo. This Abba and Acha were two brothers. So the different opinions is who is the one, who is the one of the two brothers of the Chuba? Abba or Acha? Okay. Amar Rabbi Yosef, just to end of this Gemara and the chapter, Rabbi Yosef said, And there's also one person in our generation that was an unbelievable Chuba. Umanu, who is he? Ugban Bar Nehemia. Resh Galusa. Ugban, the son of Nehemiah, that he was the Rosh Galusa, the exilarch. Vainu Nasan, the Tsusisa. And this is the famous, known as Nasan of Tsusisa. What is Tsusisa? Look in the photos number 35. The name Tsusisa alludes to the sparks, Nitutim, of fire that shoot out. When the angel in Rav's dream, let me, let me read you the Gemara and go back to the footnote to understand what the, what the footnote means. Omar of Yosef says, Rav Yosef, Av Yesena, Pepirka, Pevaka, Menamnem. I once was sitting in a lecture and I was dozing off. I hope you're not dozing off because I cannot see you. <laughs> I was falling asleep. And I saw in my dream the Kepasha Diade Pekible that an angel stretched forth his hand and accepted nascent repentance. So look in the footnote that um, in this room of, of Rav Yosef, so the angel stretched forth his hand and accepted nascent repentance, and that is the sparks. Or is reference to the light that shone upon Nasan from heaven whenever he walked in the street, because of the tshuva he did. Or a third explanation refers to the Nasan, Nasan sidelocks. I think it's the pages. Okay? Inasmuch as the angel in the dream grasped his pages and he accepted uh, his tshuva and figuratively bringing him closer to Hashem. So, gentlemen, Adran Allah Bema Beima, 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 Adran Allah Bema